Well, it took nine college football playoffs for the Big 12 Conference to finally break through and win a game. How about TCU? Congratulations to the Horn Frogs getting it done against Michigan on Saturday night in the Fiesta Bowl in the college football playoff semifinal and punching that ticket to the national championship. I'm Pete Mundo. HeartlandCollegeSports.com is how you find us covering the Big 12 Conference independently. We've been doing this since 2014. That's when I began the website. It was me. It was a laptop. It was probably six readers. We now reach millions of Big 12 fans every single month, and I have waited for this moment, as I know many of you have for the Big 12, waited for this moment to see this conference break through and to see this conference try to get back to a national championship game. Oklahoma had four opportunities, and they could not get it done. 0-4 in college football playoff semifinals. TCU shows up, and they end up beating Michigan on Saturday night in an epic back-and-forth 51-45 game as the Horned Frogs will take on, of course, the Georgia Bulldogs in the championship. How about that? My goodness, what a ride for this Horn Frogs team, 13-1. Of course, didn't win the Big 12. That was Kansas State. But uh, this was a thriller. So let's talk about the game itself. Let's start there. Uh, TCU could not have gotten off to a better start, right? First play from scrimmage, Michigan's Donovan Edwards runs for 54 yards to the TCU 21-yard line. And I know all the national college football media folks. Oh, this is what we expected. Donovan Edwards is going to run wild over these little Big 12 guys. They're speedy. They're fast. But they can't handle the Michigan offensive line. They can't handle a running back like Donovan Edwards. This is what we predicted. And they started patting themselves on the back. Not so fast, in the words of Lee Corso, not so fast, my friend. That's, that drive stalls at the TCU two-yard line uh, with a turnover on downs. The next drive for Michigan, Bud Clark on the first play of the drive, a 41-yard pick six for TCU to go up 7-0. Michigan then has a three and out. TCU then scores a touchdown. On a 12-play, 76-yard drive with Max Duggan capping it off with a one-yard touchdown run. And TCU is up 14-zip late in the first quarter. And you're sitting there if you're a Big 12 fan, if you're a TCU fan, and, I mean, you're loving every second of this. This is not what the national media folks predicted. And then after that, of course, 14-3 after Michigan gets a field goal. Um, and then, and then, and then comes some controversy. Then comes some controversy after Max Duggan throws an interception. Michigan's got the ball at midfield. J.J. McCarthy passed down the middle of the field to Roman Wilson, 50 yards to the TCU one-yard line. But it looked like it was a touchdown at first. It was called a touchdown. It would have made it 14-10 or 14-9, extra point pending. The officials looked at the play. They overturned it. They put the ball inside the TCU one. And then on the next play, Michigan fumbled the ball. It was recovered by Bud Clark, and TCU got it back. 
and Michigan got no points on the board. Now, listen, in real time, I'm looking at that and I'm saying touchdown. Did I think that in watching replays, there was enough there to overturn that touchdown? I did not. But then I saw there was a still shot that I saw, and I tweeted this out from my personal account at Pete Mundo. And it shows that um, on that very play, it shows that Wilson's got control of the ball and his butt's on the ground, and it's inside the one-yard line outside of the end zone. So I'm like, you know what? All of a sudden, I'm looking at that and saying, maybe there was enough there to overturn it. But ultimately, what this comes down to is Michigan should not have fumbled the ball inside the one-yard line. That's what it comes down to. Do I think it was a great call? No, I, I don't. I think it's one of those things where it's bang, bang, and the ruling on the field should probably stand. But is that why Michigan lost? They fumbled the ball the next play. That's on them. I, that's not the reason the game ended up the way it ended up. When you've got a 51-45 game, I'm sorry, it's just not that simple, Michigan fans. It's not. So TCU gets the ball back. They're up 14-3. Then uh, a couple of drives later, they go up 21-3. And at that point, there's less than five minutes left in uh, in the first half. After that Tay Barber touchdown, and you're like, you know, TCU fans, you're probably like scratching yourself, making sure you're still on planet Earth, making sure this is real life. Michigan gets a field goal before halftime, uh, and it's 21-6. And TCU is in complete control of this game. But you know Michigan's a second-half team. You know that Michigan's not just going to go away. That's not what this Michigan team has done all year. We see what they do in second halves. We saw what they did against Ohio State in that second half. So Michigan was going to come out swinging. Uh, and they did. And, you know, they got a quick field goal on the board. Uh, they got a touchdown on the board after picking off Max Duggan. Suddenly, you know, they are rolling. It goes from 21-3 to 21-16. TCU bounces back with a touchdown. And then, and then to me, I know there was still a lot of football left. But the D. Winters pick six against J.J. McCarthy to make it 34-16, that to me was, I don't want to say the game changer, but D. Winters had a huge game. This was a classic example of a TCU defender that most people in national media had no idea who he was. Right? They weren't focused on the TCU defensive players. Oh, yeah, they got this guy, Max Duggan. Oh, they got a big wide receiver, Quinton Johnston. Oh, maybe they talk about Kendra Miller. How about guys who have been in the program for a while? D. Winters, senior linebacker, 6'1", 230, not a little dude. I, like These are the kind of guys that are making a difference all year for the TCU Horn Frogs. <coughs> Excuse me. Every single game. And that pick six from D. Winters to me, while there was still a lot of football left, and Michigan obviously made a uh, valiant comeback after it was 34-16, that is what made it feel to me like TCU had this thing. Now, Michigan would go on to score, what, 14 straight points after that. So I understand that the game was not over. But those are the kind of moments in this game that to me made a huge difference. And that signaled, hopefully, to these national media goobers that the Big 12 is not what it was in 2014 
when TCU fell from number three to number six in the final week of the season because there wasn't a Big 12 championship game and, well, they were TCU and they beat Iowa State 55-3. Like, this is a different era of football in this league and in this conference. And those of us who watch that, I like, you know, we see that every single week. You see that every single week, right? And that moment from D. Winters was, I, I think, one of those moments in this game where I was like, gosh, dang, if you guys just watched the Big 12 this year, watched TCU a bit more this year, instead of waxing poetic over the same half a dozen teams, you might have known something like this was possible. Now, the other huge play of the second half, huge play. It's 34-16 TCU after that pick six. It then after multiple scoring opportunities on both ends. It's 41-38 TCU early in the fourth quarter. So think about that. Michigan's on a 22-7 run. Michigan had just scored a quick touchdown after a fumble by TCU. And on third and seven, with 13 minutes left in the game, Max Duggan is about to get sacked. He finds Quinton Johnston on a crossing pattern, and Johnston takes it 76 yards to the house for a touchdown. That made it 48-38 TCU over Michigan, and there was, I mean, it wasn't the final nail in the coffin. But, man, if TCU did not at least get a first down on that play, never mind a 76-yard touchdown, if TCU had not gotten it done, and if that if they have to punt with Michigan riding a hot hand in J.J. McCarthy after a couple of mistakes by the Horn Frogs, up 41-38. Would I have been confident in TCU's defense at that point in time to stop that Michigan offense on that very next drive if they had the punt after a three and out? I, I would not have felt good about it. Instead, Johnston 76 yards to the house, and the Horn Frogs go up by 10. And at that point, you start to settle down a little bit. Michigan, three and out. TCU adds another field goal after that. Another three and out for Michigan. And, you know, now the clock becomes TCU's friend. We know that ultimately Michigan put another touchdown on the board. And then the end of the game was just wild. Uh, Michigan going for it, of course, on fourth and 10 from their own 25. And the game ends. The game ends with a botched snap. Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, that's just, whoo, boy, it was wild. TCU 51, Michigan 45 as the Big 12 is playing in a national championship game for the first time in the college football playoff era. What a game it was. Uh, reading through some of your comments on Facebook Live, Donald writes, Michigan shouldn't have fumbled the ball at the goal line. I, I agree. I'm not making any excuses for Michigan. You guys know that. Uh, Gary says, do the Michigan players now know what conference TCU is in? Yes. Junior Colston, if you missed this, uh, he was talking about the game last week during the media availability, one of Michigan's linebackers, and he's talking about TCU, and he's like, yeah, they're in the, uh, they're in the, oh, the Big 12, right? They're in the Big 12? In the Big 12? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes, they're in the Big 12, and I'm pretty sure that Michigan now knows what conference TCU is in. Very good job there by you, Gary. I completely agree. Now, to think about this, com this, this team, this TCU team, and where it was last October, 
right? Like, let's not forget that Gary Patterson parted ways, to put it politically correct, I guess. Gary Patterson parted ways with TCU as this team with a lot of the same guys was one in four in Big 12 play. At that point, TCU was five years removed from reaching a Big 12 championship game, losing that game in 2017 to Oklahoma, playing in the Alamo Bowl. Since then, since that Big 12 championship game appearance, which they lost to OU in 2017, Gary Patterson was 13 and 19. 13 and 19 in Big 12 games over nearly four seasons. This team had gone 7 and 6, 5 and 7, 6 and 4, and Patterson was 3 and 5 when he parted ways with the TCU football program. Sonny Dykes comes in. And yes, you know, there were some new faces, but it was basically the same group of guys. And look at what he did in one year. Like, I, you know, I'm a big Gary Patterson fan. When I would go to college football or Big 12 media days over the summer for the uh, football coaches and players, Gary Patterson was always my favorite guy to talk to. He was interesting. He was unfiltered. He was unique. Uh, but clearly, Gary Patterson lost his touch the last couple of seasons. With this team, maybe with the sport in general, I don't know. But when you struggle the way he did, the last couple of seasons, and you bring in a new head coach and Sonny Dykes, and he takes basically that same group of guys to a national championship. I don't want to make this a rag on Gary Patterson thing, but it's just like pretty obvious that it wasn't clicking. And Sonny Dykes, to his credit, saw the talent that was on this roster. Patterson had recruited a bunch of top 20, top 25 classes. I mean, TCU was basically the third best recruiting team after Oklahoma and Texas in this league for the last half a dozen years. So there was talent on this roster. And Sonny Dykes realized that, saw that, and you know what? To his credit, with him and his staff, coached him up. And now they're sitting there at 13-1. and one. Coaching matters. And this notion in today's world and today's college football landscape that, well, you know, I need a, a full four to five years to get this thing in the place where I want it to be. No, no, between the transfer portal and, you know, name image likeness deals and everything else, no, you don't get four to five years. You, you don't, you should not get four to five years. And Gary Patterson is, is and Sonny Dykes more so, is a prime example of why. I'm not saying you got to take a team that's been mired in mediocrity and win a 13 games and go to a national title in your first year, for goodness sakes, but the notion that you need five years to turn a program around, it's just not true. It's just, it is no longer true in today's college football world. And Sonny Dykes has proven that this season with what he's done at TCU. So uh, what a game. They now face Georgia and they're 13-point underdogs, which is just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Now, let's spend a few minutes here on the Sugar Bowl. Uh, Kansas State, of course, losing to Alabama 45-20 to in that game. Um, I was cautiously optimistic about the Sugar Bowl. I thought Kansas State would win the game. Now, I picked TCU to win outright. I picked Kansas State to win outright. Got one of the two. But Kansas State gets out to a 10-0 lead, right? I mean, you, you think about how this game goes, and at first, first drive of the game, Kansas State 
ends up getting picked off. Will Howard was picked off by Jordan Battle. Uh, he was trying to get, what, uh, Deuce Vaughn on a wheel route. And I will say this. Will Howard was not nearly as accurate in this game as he had been over most of the season. And that surprised me. So he throws a pick. But then, you know, next drive for K-State, after forcing a three and out, they get three points on the board. That was big. And then after another short drive by Alabama, K-State scores a touchdown. Deuce takes it 88 yards to the house. And by the way, Deuce is going to the NFL. I, You know, there are some K-State fans that I think are uh, being naive about this. Deuce has got to go to the NFL. Unless there's a $2 million NIL deal sitting for him from some businessman in Manhattan, I, there, there's no, he's got to go. You're a running back. You got so many carries in your body. He's ready for the next level. He will play at the next level. He will perform at the next level. And he's not going to raise his draft stock a whole lot by coming back for another year. So Deuce has got to go. 88 yards to the house. K-State's up 10 nothing. But then Alabama kind of wakes up. And that's what it kind of felt like to me. Alabama woke up. They were playing all the big players. Will Anderson, their star linebacker, was playing. Bryce Young, their uh, Heisman winning quarterback, was playing. Like, all their big guys were playing. And they kind of woke up after that. And Chris Kleiman noticed that. Chris Kleiman knew that his guys had just woken up. Or not his guys, that Alabama had just woken up, and now his guys had to respond. Alabama scores a touchdown on the very next drive. TCU goes three and out. Alabama scores another touchdown on the following drive. Um, And then here's where Chris Kleiman showed his cards to me. Kansas State's down 14-10. They got the ball. They put together, I mean, it was a 10-minute drive they put together. Longer than that. Over 10-minute drive they put together. 18 plays, 73 yards, with a minute left in the first half. Minute to go in the first half. They've got a fourth and goal at the Alabama two. Now, I understand why Chris Kleiman went for it. I think at that point, Chris Kleiman's like, field goals are not winning me the Sugar Bowl. They're not. They are not winning me the Sugar Bowl. I cannot in any way try to win this game with field goals. I understood why he did it. And by the way, they had two fourth down conversions on this drive. They had a fourth and one at the Alabama 31-yard line that they converted. And then a couple of plays later, at the Alabama 19-yard line, they converted a fourth and four. So I understand Kleiman saying, you know what, I got to go for it here. It's easy to second-guess them because it didn't work out. But I was on the fence. When I saw him down there at the two, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I was like, kick it, kick it, kick it. I was just sitting there and saying to myself, I don't know if I love this. I don't. I think, you know, you've got this drive of 18 plays 10-minute drive, you've given up 14 points in a row, do you stop the bleeding, and I don't want to say guarantee you go into halftime with a one-point deficit, but just feel better about things. If you don't come up with points on an 18-play drive, that's deflating, especially when you've given up two straight touchdowns. Then, of course, what happens? Well, Alabama ends up taking it 98 yards on seven plays in 51 seconds and goes into halftime up 21-10, and it felt like the game was effectively over at that point. Bama scored another touchdown coming out of the uh, second half. Then an interception by Will Howard. Uh, Alabama scores another touchdown. It's 35-10. The game's over. 
I, I'm not sitting here telling you K-State wins if they kick a field goal there. I'm not. I, I No, Alabama would have won this way, game. But it did feel like that from a momentum standpoint. Like, like wipe your hands clean. It, it was effectively over at that point. When you come up pointsless on an 18 play, 73-yard, 10-and-a-half-minute drive, uh, and then, of course, the icing on the cake, Alabama goes 98 yards in 51 seconds, 21-10. I, you know, it wasn't going to happen for K-State, but a heck of a season. I think that if you're a K-State fan and you ask somebody, hey, would you rather have beaten Alabama in the Sugar Bowl and lost the Big 12 championship TCU or beaten TCU in the Big 12 championship game and then lost to Alabama? Uh, I think you take the latter. I think you take the season the way it shook out. You won 10 games. You won a Big 12 championship. Uh, for the first time in 10 years, outright champions for the first time in almost 20. And you got to a Sugar Bowl against a very good Alabama team. Like, let's not pretend like this was a slouch Alabama team. It was an Alabama team that could have competed, of course, in a college football playoff. Uh, and you lost that one. I, I don't see how you would play out this season any differently if you're Kansas State based on those two options I laid out. Chris Kleiman clearly has this program in an outstanding place right now. Uh, K-State has got to feel great about where this hierarchy is, where you've got Gene Taylor, your AD. You've got Chris Kleiman as your football coach. They are very close. We know they're longtime friends, ton of respect on both ends. And now Jerome Tang doing his thing. I'm not diving into basketball here. I'm just saying, you know, K-State got a tough win against West Virginia, which hopefully for some of you K-Staters softened the blow of the Sugar Bowl a little bit. As one of my K-State buddies said to me, I saw him on New Year's Eve. He goes, well, it's basketball season. And uh, we ended up watching some of the game uh, against West Virginia, and they look good. But th those, those three guys, Gene Taylor with Chris Kleiman and Jerome Tang, in terms of having those three lined up, that's a very strong base to work with within this athletic department and the two revenue-producing sports. I think the future is very bright for Kansas State Athletics. I think it's great. For Kansas State football, uh, Kleiman is going to be hitting his stride here with this program going forward. And uh, K-State should be competing for Big 12 championships. I'm not saying they're going to win it every year. I'm not saying they're going to be in the championship game every year or anything like that. The Big 12 is going to be topsy-turvy. We know that. It's going to be a heck of a conference with the four new teams coming in and when OU and Texas leave. But uh, K-State should feel like year in, year out, this team enters November with a chance to reach the Big 12 championship game. Those should be the expectations, and I think Kleiman uh, can produce those expectations. I think he's here for the long haul, not going anywhere else. Um, he's here to continue to build this thing, and K-State uh, should be very grateful for that because these are, these are exciting times in Manhattan, Kansas, despite the fact that the Sugar Bowl didn't go the way that a lot of us thought it would and a lot of us hoped that it would. But overall... We got a team in the college football playoff championship game. Congratulations, TCU. Thank you, everyone, for being here and joining the show. Uh, we're not going anywhere, by the way. Uh, this has been a great season for us on YouTube, on Facebook Live, on the podcast. Remember, these Heartland College Sports koozies that I'm showing you here on uh, Facebook Live and YouTube right now, you can get your hands on these by leaving a rating and a review on the podcast and sending me a screenshot of that rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. It's my way of saying thank you for taking out 30 seconds of your time 
and hitting that five-star, subscribing, and uh, and leaving a little review as well. So thank you, thank you, thank you. we got a ton more content coming your way this week. Of course, TCU playing for a national championship. The Big 12 implications, all of those conversations will be happening here on Heartland College Sports. So thank you again. I'm Pete Mundo. Subscribe to the show, the channel, wherever you are. Share it as well with friends and family. Thank you, guys. Uh, we are so grateful for what has been an awesome 2022 for this website. We hit numbers we have never hit before. We have reached more people than we have ever reached Big 12 fans across the country, and it's because of you. We're an independent operation. We built this thing from scratch. And you guys help make this happen. So thank you. Happy New Year to you. And we'll talk to you soon. Go Frogs. Take care.